The title of the message this morning is just very simply, Saved. And when we use the word saved in a spiritual sense, I mean, it has the same kind of meaning. It means to be rescued. It means to be delivered, that, that Jesus, the cross, was his great rescue mission, that he came to save us, to deliver us uh, from our uh, sins. And so, in, in a sense, you see a picture of that uh, in this video. Now, when we use words like save or, or saved or salvation or, or maybe born again, or born again in particular parts of East Tennessee, uh, then, you know, most of us have maybe heard those words, if you've been around here very much, been around church much. But I, I think sometimes we use words as, as Christians or in church, and we maybe assume knowledge or understanding that people sometimes don't have. I'm guessing uh, that, that I'm, uh, I prefer maybe you didn't say amen right now, but I'm guessing that I probably unintentionally do this sometimes when I'm preaching. Uh, I hope not, but, uh, but I mean, sometimes we do it in conversation. Uh, you know, sometimes we, we just kind of maybe assume knowledge that people don't have. You know, sometimes as Christians, we're weird. Do you know that? I mean, I mean we, we really are. Um, it, it's why John Chris does so well as a comedian, just pointing all of that out. But uh, we can do some weird stuff. We talk weird sometimes. You know, sometimes we can have our own set of vocabulary and uh, just, you know, going around saying things that maybe people don't get. But, uh, you know, save, save, born again, those kind of things are Bible terms. They're not just like some big theological terms that somebody's made up. But, you know, people don't always understand them. I'm not sure that we even fully understand them when we use them uh, sometimes. But, um, you know, I've had people say things to me like, um, it, it, well, uh, I'm saved because I walked down an aisle. Right? Or uh, I'm saved because somebody prayed for me. Or, or maybe you've heard people saying to people, well, you better get saved but not really telling them what that is or, or, or what that means. Um, maybe the, the worst example I could think of this is one time uh, I led a lady to Christ in my office who thought that a preacher had saved her. Now, that guy shouldn't even be in the ministry. So, um, as we talk about saved today, I don't want to assume knowledge, and I want to try to accomplish two things as really we focus on one verse of Scripture today. Really, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 all fits together. Uh, really, verses 8 through 10 in particular go together. But I'm going to try to unpack verse 8 today and then verses 9 and 10 next week just so we've got time to, to adequately cover them. But two things I want to accomplish today. is One, I want us to really understand what it means to be saved but then number two, and really even more importantly, although, but you can't accomplish the second without accomplishing the first, I want you to make sure that you are saved before you leave here today. Okay? Maybe you've heard that before and not sure what it is. Maybe you think uh, you are, but, but let's consider today what Scripture uh, actually says. All right? So, we've seen so far in Ephesians chapter 2, 
In, in verses 1 through 6, we saw our spiritual condition apart from Christ, that we're dead and disobedient and that we're under the wrath of God. But God, in his grace and mercy and love, intervened to raise us up and make us alive in, in, in Christ. Um, I, we would put verse 5 up there. Um, in, in verse 5, he says this. He says, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace, you have been saved. That little parenthetical comment. And then it's kind of like in verse 8, he's going to pick up on that and really unpack it for us. Now, we talked about last week as we looked at verse 7. What's the ultimate purpose of salvation? It's what? The, the, the glory of God. So that means the only possible means of salvation is what? Okay, the grace of God. And so, uh, you know, that's uh, there in verse 7, that the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And, and then we'll read verses 8 through 10, because uh, I quoted verses 8 and 9 by accident in the first service anyway. So we'll read verses 8 through 10, but focus on verse 8 today. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in. All of that goes together. We're not saved by our works. We're going to see next week that we're saved unto good works through the work of Jesus uh, in us. But let's focus on uh, verse 8 uh, today. And so, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. So, uh, number one, there's three uh, truths that I want to show you about salvation from this verse. I want to help you understand them hopefully help you make sure that you are actually saved. But number one, salvation is to be rescued from death to life. If you want just a simple definition of salvation, and we're going to expand on it a little bit, but a basic definition is salvation is to be rescued from death to life. That's why I showed you the video. The word saved means to deliver or rescue. But instead of being saved from a uh, you know, fiery car, we are being saved from our sins. We're being delivered from our spiritual death and brought into spiritual life. You're not saved from hell. You're saved from your sins. Uh, not going to hell is the byproduct of that. Just not, you're, you're not saved to heaven. You're saved to God, and going to heaven is the byproduct of that. Okay? So I personally think that any gospel presentation that focuses on you stay out of hell and you get to go to heaven is just a little bit off kilter because that's the results of the gospel, not the gospel itself. The gospel itself is that we're sinners. Jesus died for our sins. He rose from the dead to bring us into a relationship with God. And there's a whole lot of things that come out of that, including missing hell and going to heaven. But the essence of salvation is knowing God. It's being brought from death to life through the intervention of Jesus Christ. So um, I want to illustrate it to you this way. It's kind of an old story, but uh, it's one of my favorite illustrations. Uh, so in 1875, Dr. Charles Berry moved to Bolton, England to become the pastor of St. George's Road Congregational Church. This was a large church. They met in a building that seated about 1,200 people. 
but Dr. Barry was somewhat liberal in his theology, which led to him in his preaching in focusing on Jesus as an example instead of Jesus as the Savior. And in fact, Dr. Barry actually was not a saved man. He was not a Christian at this point in his life, even though he was a pastor. And just in case you didn't know this, being a pastor does not get you into heaven. One of my best friends in seminary got saved after he had pastored a church. Okay, So nothing <laughs> that we can do will earn our way uh, to God. But Dr. Barry, like I said, he focused in his preaching on the, the life of Christ, his beautiful life, his example, his teaching, you know, his leadership, those kind of things. Well, uh, one day uh, or evening after he had been there a little while, uh, I'm not sure if it was at his office at the church or at home, uh, a, a girl showed up at his door, a uh, very poor-looking young lady, uh, disheveled, obviously frazzled and distraught and upset, and she shows up uh, looking for a pastor, kind of just begging him to come with her to go uh, to their home because her mother is on her deathbed, and her mother wants someone to help her to get right with God before she goes into eternity. And so, uh, Dr. Barry accompanies this young lady to one of the worst parts uh, of Bolton and into a home that was obviously marked by poverty and by struggle and uh, finds this lady, uh, you know, a few hours from her death, you know, just kind of struggling along at the end of her life, upset, afraid to die, uh, knowing that she doesn't have a relationship with God, and wanting to make things right with God before uh, she dies and meets him in eternity. And so Dr. Barry begins to uh, try to minister to her. And uh, out of his theology, he begins to talk about uh, the wonderful, beautiful life of, of Jesus and his great example and his moral teachings. And this lady at some point interrupts him and says, Mister, that's no good for me. I've lived an awful, sinful life, and I don't need no example, but I do want a Savior. Can you tell me of the Savior and how he can come and get me in. And in that moment, he has an epiphany, so to speak. The light bulb comes on. And, you know, we've all had these moments, I think, in our lives when we have clarity that we've never had before. And in that moment, he sees the error of his preaching. And the problem with preaching and just preaching Jesus as an example, which he is, but just preaching that instead of preaching him as the Savior. And in that moment, he realizes that he's not even a converted man. He's not sure what to say to her. And so he kind of digs back in his memory and thinks back to his godly believing parents who taught him about Jesus from a young age and who taught him the gospel of the fact that we've sinned and that's broken our relationship with God, but that Jesus, who is God, took on flesh, coming to this world born of the Virgin Mary, living a perfect and a sinless life, and then dying in our place for our sins, rising from the the dead to give us forgiveness and new life and to give us eternal 
eternal life. And so as he's recounting this to this woman, at some point during that evening, she believes. And at some point later, uh, a few hours later, she dies rejoicing in her Savior, dying with hope, knowing that she's going to heaven to meet the Savior that she just met. And Dr. Barry, after the fact, summarized this experience by saying this, quote, I got her in, and I got in myself. I got her in, and I got in myself. Listen, at the end of the day, while Jesus is our example for sure, we don't ultimately need an example. Ultimately, we need a Savior. And you say, why would I say that? Well, Jesus' example is that he who knew no sin, okay? So none of us are following that example. So we're not going to get in by following Jesus' example. Even beyond that, once we understand our spiritual condition, dead people can't do anything. And if we're spiritually dead, we can't do any good works, so we can't follow his example. So our only hope is not Jesus being our example, it's Jesus being our Savior. Listen, even if we try as hard as we can, do the best we can in following his example, that's not going to wash away the sins that we've already committed. Uh, we're dead, and so we need someone to rescue us, to deliver us, that lady in that car didn't need an example. She needed some people to save her. And what we need is someone to save us, and that someone is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's go just a little bit deeper, though. You see, because when we hear the word saved, there's more to it than what we realize. I, 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 I bet, um, I shouldn't bet in church, right? Uh, but I, I, I think... I think that if we took a little theological survey here today, and I ask you to write down a definition of the word saved before what I, if we did that before the message, I'm guessing that the vast majority of you would have said either one of two things. I think most of you would have said, well, what, if I said, what does it mean to be saved? You said, well, it means to be forgiven of my sins. Or uh, maybe some of you would have said, well, it means to be restored to a, a relationship with God or some combination of the two. I think, I could be wrong, but I think that's what most of you would have said, okay? And those things are, are, are true, but there's more to it than that. Did you realize that when you read the New Testament, that the Bible teaches us that you have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved? And you say, that sounds a little weird. Does that mean, like, if, if I was saved, how can I still be saved, and why will I be saved someday? But that's actually what the New Testament teaches. Uh, three, three theological words to describe this. There's justification, there's sanctification, and there's glorification. You have been saved, you're being saved, you will be saved. You say, well, why does this even matter? I want to try to show you this. But I want you to understand, when you, this will help you when you read the Bible for yourself, because this can be confusing sometimes. When you read the New Testament and you read save or saved or salvation, Sometimes it's talking about the fact that you have been saved, justification. Sometimes it's talking about the fact that you're being saved, sanctification. Sometimes it's talking about the fact that you will be saved, glorification. And sometimes it's talking about all three of those things all rolled up into one, which is the totality of it. So when we talk about justification, this is past tense. It's a, uh, it's a finished action. It's, it's something that happened in a point in time with continuing uh, effects that 
will last forever. It's, it's positional. It means it's a declaration that God has made when in Christ he declares you innocent on the negative side, no longer guilty for your sins. And on the positive side, he imputes the righteousness of Jesus Christ to you, where when he now sees you, he sees you in Christ, and he sees you with the perfect obedience and the perfect righteousness of Christ credited to you, where even though you're a sinner, this is now who you are in God's eyes. That's grace. And so it means, simply stated, that we are immediately saved from the penalty of sin. Romans 3.21, but now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But then it says, being justified freely by his grace, being declared righteous. Love this phrase, freely by his grace. You know what that means? It means by his, freely by his grace, is it, it, this happens we're declared righteous at no cost to us because he paid the price and transferred it to us by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, you're justified. You're saved immediately, completely, and permanently from all the penalty of your sin. What's that mean to you practically? It means you're not guilty anymore. It means there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. It means that since you're always justified, you don't ever have to worry about losing your salvation. It means that you're secure in Jesus Christ. And because of this, all the blessings of Christ belong to you. You have been saved. That's good news. But you know what? It's good news too that you and I are being saved. Because when we talk about sanctification, it's present tense. Yes, we were sanctified at the moment of salvation in the sense that we were set apart unto God, but sanctification is progressive in that right now God is working in us through his spirit to save us progressively from the power of sin and conform us into the likeness of Christ because Romans 8, 29 says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God is sanctifying you. You You are being saved. You say, well, what does this mean practically? Well, practically, this is really good news because it means that you and I are a work in progress. Now, we're justified. We have been saved, so we're secure, but we're not finished yet. We haven't arrived yet. And so what that means is when you mess up, when you blow it, when you struggle, when you doubt, when you sin, you are being saved. You're, you're not complete yet. You're not, you haven't arrived yet. And so you can know that God is still working on you, that God is still saving you in a sense, even though you have been saved. But you can know that Philippians 1, 6, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, that he's not finished with you yet, that he's not giving up on you, that he's not abandoning you, that he's not going to leave or forsake you, that you can't outrun the love of God, that you can't get away from the presence of God. You can't unadopt yourself and stop, stop being a child of God because he's still working on you. You're still a work in progress. That's encouraging. But it's also challenging because it means this. And this is really important because I'm convinced 
that at least in, in, in our culture here in East Tennessee, that the biggest problem that people have in the gospel, and we're going to really unpack this next week, is because they have seen so many people that are like East Tennessee saved instead of really saved, that they say, you know, I prayed a prayer or whatever, and I got a relationship with Jesus, and I'm going to, 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 to heaven. And they, so many people have seen people like that who have lived like the devil for so long that they just don't get it. Right? They have a problem with justification because they're like, if this means all you got to do is pray a prayer and then you can treat people however you want and do whatever you want, I don't want any part of that. That doesn't even make any sense to me. But this is why it's important that we understand this. We're justified. We were saved, but we are being saved. God is growing us and changing us and delivering us from the power of sin. He's making us like Christ, which means this. If there's no fruit, there's no root. If you're not changing, if you, if you haven't grown, if there's no fruit there, if you're not being sanctified, you didn't really get saved to start with. Because salvation is not a prayer you prayed. It's God justifying you, sanctifying you, and ultimately glorifying you. Does that make sense? Listen, if we're going to be the church and be effective in our gospel witness uh, in, in the area that we, in the culture that we live in, we got to get this right in our understanding and in our practice. So, we have been saved, we are being saved, but then we will be saved. And glorification is future tense in, 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 in English, but in Greek, the way it's like it's already happened. Uh, Romans 8, 30, more of whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. It's, it's as good as done. It's why you don't have to worry about your future and your eternal destiny if you're in Christ. It's like God in his mind has already glorified you, and it's just waiting for the time of your death or the return of Jesus Christ for you to actually experience it. To be glorified is to be delivered permanently from the very presence of sin. It's to be perfected spiritually, morally, physically. No more sickness or sin or sorrow or suffering or death. And to be blessed forever in the presence of God and his glory. So we have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. You know, how does glorification, how does that affect our lives practically right now? Well, here's a couple of ways. One, you're not glorified yet. So you're being sanctified. You know what part of what, how God sanctifies us in part? It's through our trials. So listen to me. If you're going through a trial, it could be because of your sin and disobedience that God is disciplining you, but it could be because of your obedience, or it could be because God is trying to grow you, and this is part of your sanctification process. Don't assume that God's mad at you because you're going through a trial. But you should expect trials because you're still being sanctified, and we live in a fallen world, and we're not glorified yet. So this would say to us, one of many reasons, that the prosperity gospel is a heresy is because it's confusing glorification and sanctification. It's confusing heaven and the earth. We haven't arrived yet, and so we shouldn't expect roses and lollipops and everything to be perfect and health, wealth, prosperity, name it, claim it, write a blank check and get whatever we want from God because we're not in heaven. We're not, we've not arrived. We've not been perfected. We've not been completed yet, so don't expect and get mad at God if your life's not going like you want it to because you're not in heaven yet. You're still on the earth. You're still being sanctified. So, have been saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. God wants us to understand it uh, like that, but, he, but in, in, 
and just in its root definition, salvation is to being delivered from our sin and spiritual death and brought into life now and forevermore, raised up with Christ. Okay? Two, salvation is a gracious gift from God. Salvation is a gracious gift from God. What does he say? For, which means because by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Now, once again, we, we can add the word grace to words like saved and salvation and born again of words that maybe we've heard, but maybe we really don't understand. Right? I mean, everybody's heard the song Amazing Grace, I think. I, I mean, you know, you could be under a rock and never heard of Jesus and, you know, and heard of Amazing Grace. I mean, people aren't even Christians saying uh, Amazing Grace. But what are we really talking about when we talk about uh, grace? Basically, the word means unmerited favor or undeserved blessing. Uh, what we're talking about is God, uh, in his, mercy is God withholding the judgment that we deserve. Grace is God giving the blessing that we don't deserve. So on the cross, Jesus took our judgment where in his mercy, God could accept Jesus' sacrifice and withhold judgment from us. But as Jesus did that on the cross, it now also means that God can adopt us as his children and bless us with every spiritual blessing. That's grace. Now, sometimes, uh, you know, you can... Uh, give a clinical definition of a word, but it not really mean uh, a whole lot. Like Jay, our oldest, when he was a little kid, he'd say, example it for me, mommy, or example it, daddy. Or you, know, or you can go to a doctor, and a, and a doctor can give you some kind of uh, diagnosis, and it's like, okay, <laughs> what's that mean uh, you know, to someone who hasn't been to school as many years as you? I mean, can you kind of spell this out for me? Uh, a, a little bit. So I, I want to use an illustration to try to do that with, with, with grace. And it, it's a story that James Montgomery Boyce shared in his commentary on Ephesians. And uh, I'll share the story and then read his explanation. So basically, he's telling a story of a man by the name of Henry Morehouse, who was a social worker in London back in the past. And uh, he was walking home from, from work or from, a, from an appointment one night. And he saw a little girl who uh, was carrying a pitcher that she had just gotten filled with milk at some shop there in London that was along his pathway. And, and as she walked along, she stumbled, tripped, and fell. And uh, the pitcher broke and the milk spilled out of it. And he, you know, kind of came upon her. And uh, she was distraught, crying, upset, uh, just kind of we would say freaking out maybe, and he, he wanted to try to uh, calm her. But she just kept saying over and over, my, mom, my mommy's going to whip me, my mommy's going to whip me, my mommy's going to whip me. Um, and so uh, this man, I guess, you know, just felt some compassion and decided he wanted to try to help her. And he said to her, no, little girl, your mother won't whip you. I I'll see to that. Look, the, the picture's not broken in, in, in that many pieces. And so uh, you know, he stooped down, picked it up, and began to try to put it back together. And he started making some progress, but after a couple of minutes, he kind of moved something the wrong way, and the whole thing fell apart again. And so 
he decided then at that point to uh, try one more time to uh, be able to put it back together. And he enlisted her help uh, this time. And working together, uh, they got it all together except for the handle. And they tried to put the handle back on. And she made a little bit of a wrong move. And once again, the whole thing fell apart. Then she's crying again, upset, saying, my mom is going to whip me. And at this point, he's not sure what to do. But he's gotten into it this far. And so he wants to come up you know, with some kind of solution for her. So he begins to think. And so finally, he he came up with this idea. So he picks a little girl up in his arms and uh, carried her down the street to a place that sold these kind of pitchers. And he bought a new pitcher. And, um, and, And then they went back to the shop where she had gotten the milk, and he paid to have the pitcher filled again with milk. And then he asked her where she lived. And carrying her in one arm and the pitcher in in the other hand, he uh, took her to her house. And um, he sat sat her down on the step, placed the pitcher of milk in her hands, opened the door for her, and asked her this question. He said, now do you think that your mom is going to whip you? And uh, she lit up and smiled real brightly and said, oh, no, sir. Because it's a lot better pitcher than what we had before. <laughs> and uh, Dr. Boyce explains it this way. He says, here's an illustration of the grace of God and salvation. The Bible teaches that men and women were created in the image of God. But when our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned by disobeying God's righteous law, that image was broken beyond repair. This does not mean that there's no value at all in human nature. Even a broken pitcher is not without value. Broken pottery is not worthless. But it is worthless so far as carrying milk is concerned. In the same way, human nature in us, in its broken state, is useless for pleasing God or earning heaven. The Bible says there is is none righteous, no, not even one. Yet men keep trying to please God by their character. Like Morehouse in his first attempts to help the little girl, they keep trying to put the pieces of their broken righteousness back together. They cannot achieve God's perfect standards of righteousness, but they see parts of their character that are good from their perspective, and they try to work with those. The result is a patchwork of shards which God condemns. But here's where the grace of God comes in. The Lord Jesus came to this world, which was weeping in its failure and sin, and he became the means by which an utterly hopeless situation was transformed. There is nothing in the Bible to indicate that Jesus ever attempted uh, to patch up fallen human nature. He did not come to assist us or to reform us. He came to recreate us. That's why it said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. That's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if anyone's in Christ, that he's a new creation. And so to paraphrase the words of the little girl, it's a lot better nature than we had before. Because it's nothing less than the nature of the holy and eternal God within his people. And it's all of grace. In Barnhouse's story, the little girl did not do anything to deserve Morehouse's favor. She did not pay for a new pitcher and, uh, and milk. She did not hire his services. She, didn't, she had nothing to hire him 
with. He did this solely because it pleased him to do it. And the Bible teaches us, we've already seen in Ephesians, that God saves us solely by the good pleasure of his grace for the glory of his name. Salvation is by grace. It's a gift. And so if you think about a, a, a gift, um, if, um, if I walked up to Preston, let's say, and said, Preston, I, I want to give you a gift. I want to give you some new pants so you don't have to come up on stage at the end of the service showing off your legs for us today. <laughs> and, 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 and I said, Preston, I, I went and I bought these pants for you. They're really well, he wouldn't want pants that I bought. They wouldn't be cool enough for him. But let's just say I got stylish for a second, and I bought him some really good pants. And I said, Preston, here's a gift for you. What could you say? Okay, you could say you're being a smart aleck. I don't want your pants, right? Uh, or, or you could say, thank you. I appreciate the gift, right? But let me ask you this. If it's, if it's truly a gift, could he pay me for them? Would that be a gift? I'd be buying it, right? Could he say, well, um, you know, if, if you give me these pants, I'll, I'll, I'll give you whatever in, in, in some fashion tips, something in, 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 in exchange. Uh, I mean, would that be a gift? That, that's a trade, right? Or could he say, well, I'll come over and mow your yard and uh, clean out your gutters and wash your cars and this list of stuff, you know, in exchange, I'll come do this work for you. Would that be a gift? At that point, it'd be earning it, right? Um, and, and so uh, the point is this. If something's truly a gift, it's free. We either receive it or we reject it. We can't uh, buy it. We can't barter for it. We can't work for it or else it's not a gift. So if salvation is a free gift of the grace of God, all we can say is, yes, I'll receive it or no, I don't want it. We can't trade for it. We can't work for it. We can't pay for it or else it wouldn't be a gift. You can't make deals with God. You say yes or you say no. But the question is, you know, how, how do you say yes to God? Because it's not like God is physically in the room uh, with us. You know, if, if, if this happened and I brought, uh, you know, Preston some pants, he could either take them or he could push them uh, away. Well, how's it going to work with God? Well, Adrian Rogers used to say a lot that faith is the medium of exchange in God's economy. And that's what this verse tells us, because it says, For by grace you have been saved through what? Been saved through faith. Salvation is received through faith. But the question then becomes, what is faith? Because just like I think there's a lot of confusion about salvation and about grace and these other words, I think there's a lot of confusion about faith as well. Uh, and so when we talk about faith, um, there's really three essential elements to faith if you want to have a biblical definition of faith. Now, I think a lot of people have just kind of boiled faith down to, well, if you affirm some facts about Jesus, like if you believe he was a real person and he died on the cross and those kind of things, then that makes you a Christian. But in James 2, which we'll look at next week, uh, the Bible says there that even the demons believe and tremble, but yet they're not saved. So there has to be more to faith than just intellectual assent to some facts, just having some knowledge. But 
faith does start with knowledge, right? You can't believe something you don't know about. You can't trust in something that you have defective knowledge of. So for you to have saving faith, you have to know, you have to believe that Jesus is God's son, that Jesus died for your sins, that he rose from the dead, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, that Jesus is the only way to God, and just some basic things like that. We have to know that. But once again, just knowing that in our heads does not mean necessarily that we are a Christian, because and, and you can maybe use different words, different terms for this. But in addition to our knowledge, there has to be a heart response to that knowledge. And what, what I mean by heart response is there has to be a work of the Spirit of God in our hearts where a heart of stone becomes flesh, where he makes us alive and he turns our affections toward Christ. And we're actually you know, trusting in, resting in, relying on Jesus. And we love Jesus. Listen, if you you know, prayed a prayer, joined a church, did whatever, however many years ago, but Jesus has nothing to do with your life today, that's not saving faith. It's just not. It's a perversion of the New Testament. But then the third element of faith, according to historical Christian theology, is commitment. You know, the Bible says to repent and believe the gospel. Uh, the Bible says that if we believe in our heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that we will be saved. And when we confess that Jesus is Lord, I mean, that's acknowledging that he's God. That's acknowledging that, uh, you know, he's the master. But that's acknowledging him as my God, my master, my boss. There's an element of commitment in that. We can't come to Christ and say, oh, Give me my fire insurance policy, but it's still my life, and I'm going to do whatever I want with it. Now, that doesn't mean, uh, you know, we come to Christ and we're perfectly obedient, but it means we acknowledge our um, responsibility to obey our Lord. We acknowledge that we belong to him. And we certainly don't fully understand that when we get saved, and we're never going to completely understand that this side of heaven. But what I'm saying is we can't come with the mindset of, yeah, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior, but you can't be my Lord. I'm still going to live my life and do my thing. That's not saving faith. So, my question for you is, do you know these things in your head, but is it moved from your head to your heart where you aren't just believing about Jesus, but you're relying on Jesus alone for your salvation, and you love him, and you worship him, and you appreciate what he has done for you, and you've committed your life to him. You're trusting him, not just as uh, you know, get out of jail free card, but that he is the Lord of your life right now. Have you taken a step of faith? Because you know, faith could be defined as putting all of your weight on something. Are you relying on resting in Christ and who He is and what He has done for you? So I want to close with this. I want us to watch something, then I'll come back and give you an opportunity to respond. But this is a clip from the Indiana Jones series of movies, and I think it's a great visual for what real faith looks like. 
leap from the lion's head. is taking God his word and acting on it. Real faith is always a step of obedience, trusting that God's going to keep his word. Saving faith is taking a step of committing our lives to Christ, of relying on him, trusting him to catch us, trusting that he's the only way to God, and if he doesn't come through, that we're doomed because we're putting all of our eggs in that basket. And then real faith, we live day to day, taking steps of obedience, taking God at his word, trusting him to fulfill his word, trusting him to take care of us and to guide us and to help us and to work out his plans for our lives. Are you trusting Jesus? Because the only way to be saved is by the grace of God. And the only way to receive the grace of God is by faith. Have you been delivered from death to life? Are you saved? Let's, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And I just want to give you a chance to respond to Jesus. I just encourage you, if he's speaking to you and working in your heart right now to give you the faith to believe, just to reach out to him and to call on his name. Remember, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, that we will be saved. So there may be some of you, maybe you thought you were saved. But maybe nobody's ever really explained it to you before. I mean, are you sure that you're in a relationship with God, that you've been forgiven, that you're spiritually alive through Jesus Christ? Do you know that you're trusting Christ and Christ alone? Have you genuinely committed your life to him? If not, he invites you to do that right now. And I just encourage you, either in your own words, to ask him to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life. If you need help in knowing what to say, I can guide you in a prayer, but you have to realize the prayer doesn't save you. It's Jesus that saves you. You receive that by faith. And, and you have to be reaching out to him and genuinely turning to him. But if you need to receive Christ, I just encourage you to 
express your faith to God and pray something like this. Heavenly Father, Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit there's nothing I can do to save myself. Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to change me and make me new. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins and that he rose from the dead. Now, I don't just believe that in my head. Right now, I place my faith and my trust and my hope in Jesus. Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. I commit my life to you to follow you for the rest of my life. Take over my life. Listen, if you are trusting him, he'll keep his word. He'll save you and make you new.